Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. And welcome to Book Talk, a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and then chat about it each week. Is that, is that what we do? Is that what the, that's, that's what we, we do. <laughs> Like this grab bag episode messed us up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get started. Okay. Um, so let's do a quick summary to get it started since it's the first week of Memorial. In the first week, we meet Michael and Benson. Michael's mom is coming in from Japan, and Mike is going to Japan um, the next morning to be with his dad, who is semi-estranged and who is sick and dying. Um, so leaving Benson effectively with his essentially mother-in-law. Um, his mom, Mitsuko, and Benson are together. They are cohabitating, um, and they are learning to cook. And Benson, in the next section, we learn a little bit more about him and his work um, and kind of the kids that he's with every day. And then we get to know even more about Benson and his family relationships when he visits his dad. Um that's it, really. There's a lot more that goes on. This was a hard section to summarize, but that's essentially, that's the highlights for you. The Instagram. Yeah. Reel. What do you think about Brian's writing style so far? I think it was extremely easy to read. I feel like I read it very quickly, especially for reading 75 pages, which makes me excited that we're doing that, like 75 each week. Um, but I think his style is, it draws you in for sure. I think it's very weird that he doesn't use quotes and that is like the one thing that causes me to have to stop a lot and go back and see who's talking or if it was a thought or a quote. I think also because the sections are like named after the person talking, it's also kind of meant to be like stream of consciousness from Benson's mind. And I'm very interested when we eventually switch and hear Mike's perspective, like maybe the flow will be different or the format will be different and just like kind of reflect their thought processes. That's interesting, like how their brain works, which I do think it is a stream of consciousness type of writing. I think what confuses me is the like very quick switches between a thought process and like speaking to someone, like especially when they're like, here's seven options for the text I sent. Here's the actual text I sent. I'm like, wait, did you not say all of that? Which is a theme we'll get to because no, he didn't. He didn't say any of it. (laughs) So what do you think about... um, the way he writes about certain scenes and like the way he writes about kind of the passage of time. Yeah. There's two things I really like that Brian does. One is I love the like pictures and the way he's like detailing text messages because that's something you see like directors struggling with and also writers. Like how do you incorporate all these new forms of communication into a book? And he does use different formatting to show you when it's a text versus when it's like a conversation. Um, and then it also it's also realistic to like have pictures um, that they are sending back and forth with each other. Although it's funny because in the first like I think it's the second picture you see he says something about like oh and this is the first time I've seen Mike's face. But the picture doesn't have Mike in it, obviously. Yeah, it's like you can see up his nose or something. But Mike's not in it. Yeah, and I just want to pick like, up Mike. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, oh, my God, that'd be so cool if we had, like, an actor face. Um, But I really like that. The other thing I like is how he uses chapters to show how time is passing and progressing. Like, 
when Benson's pushing off meeting with his father, it's like he used to have like three rapid fire chapters of like, and I didn't do it the next day or the next day. And the chapter breaks are trying to kind of show you how we're progressing through this time period. So speaking of Mike and Benson, what do you think about their relationship? Do you think they have a good relationship, a bad relationship? Like, what are we learning about them? I don't think it's great um, because in my personal opinion, I think that like good solid relationships are built on open communication and on talking to each other. And I think the main theme for me in reading this is like the heaviness of the silence that is in their relationship. Like all the things that they're not saying and all the things that are said between the lines is like what I, what I feel their relationship has come to. I don't think it's like, something you can't get out of at this point we don't know enough about it I think to decide that like something you can't grow out of together in the relationship like it's not like a lost cause but I think there's so much that they're not saying this like four years in to not have any communication like that is not great I do remember this specific quote when they're talking about opening their relationship which is something one of them wants and he says if I open the door even a little bit will I have a reason to come back which reminds me of the thing everyone tells you, like if you're thinking, is this it? Is this good enough? Like it's probably not. Yeah. I, I mean, their relationship is so relatable of like two people who obviously there's like a lot there that a lot of history there. And there's also like a lot of dependence there with each other. Mm -hmm. Like they've built a life together now and however like unintentional that life kind of seemed to like, flow out of them like it didn't seem like they made intentional steps along the way like okay let's move in okay let's make this next step they kind of just enmeshed themselves with each other um but yeah what you said reminds me of when they're talking about that open relationship and Benson says like and we never decided and not deciding is a decision which is also so relatable for that part is relatable no we can't yeah we can't like address that And that's that in and of itself is a decision. Like, are we going to, you know, move across the country? Are we going to do this? And it's like if there's a block there, that in and of itself is like the decision. There's a lot to be said for relationships we've all been in in the past. Maybe not all, but a lot of us have been in in the past where you do unintentionally build this dependency because you form a group of friends or you you're in the same. I mean, even if you're younger than that, if you're in the same classes or your families or friends or whatever it is like you do build this like unintentional life together. And then I think it's, but I wonder if you think either of them is critically thinking about the intentions of their relationship. I think that the sickness of both of their fathers, Benson's being alcoholism and Mike's being cancer. I think that that's going to start to clarify things for them. I think that's the journey we're going on is we kind of are dropped into this relationship much like how Benson is like awoken to the fact that Mike is leaving and he now has to take care of his mother-in-law and that's going to kind of lead to this process of self-discovery of what what do we mean to each other is it worth it you know should we continue or you know is this fundamentally broken yeah for sure I think we'll find out more I thought that part was really interesting as well which I wanted to mention the part about his mother-in-law because I think to a lot of people, family is this like other level of commitment or of intimacy, of trust. And so leaving your mom there to live with your partner for an 
unspecified amount of time feels like a level of intimacy and trust and commitment that you feel towards that person. It doesn't seem like that's what it is for Benson and Mike. And so I'm wondering, is it that? Is it not? Like, how does Mike really feel about Benson? Is he just not able to express it or to be emotionally there, but he wants to be? Or is he just, he's not give a shit about his mom? <laughs> like, those aren't the only two options, but. I get the sense that Mike is the kind of person who, like, is so good at, has been taught. I don't think this is, like, a natural thing, but I think he's been taught that he takes care of himself that he can figure it out and that that's the most important thing. And he doesn't need to, in his mind, his mom will take care of herself. Benson's fine. He needs to do what he needs to do come hell or high water. And everybody else's needs kind of come second. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, But I don't think he's even thinking about their needs or what he's asking of Benson. I think he's really focused on what he thinks he has to do for his dad which is really for himself it's not really for his dad I think it's for himself oh yeah like he's not he's going there to to resolve some things that are unresolved in his mind or to get some closure that he needs for sure um I think that's obvious but I do think it's interesting I don't think Benson sees the world the same way so I'm excited to see Mike's kind of stream of consciousness but I think you might be right about how he's just thinking of his own needs I don't think it's a bad thing but I do think it's a bad thing when it's not in balance you can't just like expect these people to like your mom and Benson to sit at home and wait for you and cohabitate and basically keep living your life and hold it together until you come home. I mean, you can, I guess, expect them, but it's like extremely unfair. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of how Mitsuko talks about um, learning that Mike is gay and how they never talked about it. And she never knew, but had like, you know, oh, I knew I had friends who had kids that were gay and I just never noticed. But then all of a sudden, one day it just clicked for her and they never had to talk about it. And it's almost like these two people, his mom and him, are so like self-sufficient that they never even had to like broach this as a subject. And that seems like it's replicating now with Mike and Benson. Like, of course, Benson will take care of her. I don't need to talk about it with him. Like, it's just understood. Yeah, I mean, at least we see where he gets his inability to communicate effectively with important people in his life from. <laughs> because, like, Mitsuko is really good, though, at, like, telling it like it is and also bringing that out of Benson and, like, pushing him to go see his dad, for example. I wonder if she's the same way with Mike. Because, like, I wonder if it's this other layer of confidence because Benson isn't someone who really means anything to her. She clearly doesn't have any allegiance to him. So maybe she feels more comfortable. And I wonder if it has to do with the fact of her not ever broaching the subject of if, if Mike was gay because she didn't want to because she has stock in who Mike is and what his decisions are. And with Benson, she doesn't give a shit. So, like, I feel like maybe she is more openly communicating. And maybe that's a theme as well. Like, it's easier sometimes – to talk about intimate things with strangers than it is about with people who you really care what they think or what they do. One of the quotes that really stuck with me from this first section, Jimena says, everybody is someone's villain. And it's such the opposite approach of like the way that we think about ourselves. 
Well, I wouldn't say it's the opposite. I think everybody thinks that obviously they're always the hero, but also everybody thinks they're always the center of attention. And it's so interesting that she's bringing this up to Benson of like, you know, you could be someone's villain. Like not everybody is a good guy. Same with like Michael to Benson. Um, It reminds me of this quote that I saw on the internet, which is like, you are the reason your existence is an issue for some couple. It's like, Every person, like you don't realize, we all think about the good ways that we impact each other's lives, but we actually don't think about all of the bad ways that we impact each other's lives. And I really was like, wow, I need to like journal out some of the ways that I've been a villain to someone or obstructed like their progress. Because like with Michael, what we're seeing is like Michael's going on this like journey to figure himself out, to save his relationship with his dad. If we're hearing the story from Michael, it's like, this is this valiant journey that is going to teach him so much. But from Benson's side, it's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you just left me alone with your mom. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. I think it is interesting how she says everyone is somebody's villain. That's still putting yourself at the center of it. And people constantly think that others are thinking of them or are worried about them or are judging them more than they really are. Like, you're not the center of every conversation or thought. Um, so I think that's like a fallacy we all subscribe to. <laughs> okay. I have a random question for you, Katie. <laughs> I'm nervous. From your Japan week, what is NATO or NATO? Do you know? Can we like phone a friend with no. Jason? <laughs> yeah, we should phone a friend. Should I phone a friend and call Jason in here? <laughs> okay. Please hold. I'm going to mute you for two okay. seconds. Hello. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you say hi in a less creepy way? Hi. <laughs> Do you know what the Japanese food natto or nato is? I don't think so. Oh, no. Okay. But you don't know what it is, nato, natto, natto with rice? It's apparently a traditional Japanese dish of fermented soybeans. No. Nope. Never heard of it? I don't think so. We didn't have that in our Japanese week. You just, okay. Probably sounds very strong. Okay. Well, that's all we needed you for. it. Thanks so oh, much. Sorry. I, I do know what NATO is. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please give us a full description of what NATO is. Let's do some talk talk. Talk talk. I always like to ask, what else are you reading? Um, you know, I had a dream last night that I finished a book and I woke up and I was like, what book did I finish? I don't know. <laughs> I had a dream I was losing my hair. So what am I reading? Oh, ooh, still here. okay. This is very controversial. I put it on my Instagram, but I'm reading Lolita. Lolita is a classic, but it is, like, I'm having a hard time reading it. So, like, the poll on my Instagram ended up with, like, 70% of people saying that I should read it. And I've heard this before. I mean, it is, like, a classic book. Um, But it's about this, like, old European guy who is, like, really into this, like, he's basically a pedophile. I mean, he's, like, very into, like, young girls. 
And he marries this young girl's mom because he's, like, infatuated with her. And, ugh. It reminds me of a book, like, a book that you may read to say that you read it, but you will never Absolutely. read it again. Yes. See my TikTok. <laughs> okay, report back next week when you're inevitably done with it. I'm reading The Vanishing Half, and I'm almost done with it. It is so good. The hype was real with that. I, like, it had been on my nightstand with six other books for a long time, and... I was like, I just got to start it. And I'm going to finish it tonight. I read it so fast. It's so good. It's so good. It's such an interesting conversation about like race in America. And also at this time, I have to keep looking back and be like, what year is this? Because it just seems, but it's not that long ago, which is not shocking, but it's not surprising, but it's still shocking. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those books that it just changes the way you think about race because we think of race as so obvious, but it's really not. And there's a lot of that, like, oh, they're actually Native American. Oh, they're actually just, like, Italian, so they have darker skin. It's, like, there's all of these ways of, like, there's all these ways that race is malleable and also the way people manipulate race to say, I'm part of this group and not that group or, you know, I am light-skinned or whatever. Like, there's a lot of – that book just, like, highlights how our ideas of race can change and also then can become embodied because the other sister also then has these like racist feelings about her neighbor part of her own fear of her own blackness it's just oh such a good book it is right but it's also her fear of like what society tells you that her blackness will mean for her and what that means for her in her day-to-day life but also yeah and like the whole concept of mallard is so interesting and how race goes into like forming communities but also these divisive lines it's interesting it's so good though everyone told me to read it i'm pretty sure it's mine i'm pretty sure it's my copy that i lent to you i think i got it on book of the month but i'll look oh, good. Yours. um your books are all marked with an eb in the um, front cover so i know I'm so glad i started doing that <laughs> same because i go to people's houses i'm like do you have any my books like not sure i'm like let me just flip through real quick because those are mine um i did get the uh, do you ever do book of the month no, but now that people have been posting about it, I've been thinking about doing it. But I I don't know. Where do they source their books from? Not to be a bitch. But. Um, no, be a bitch. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, is this Amazon? No, I don't think so. But I'm not sure. But, like, you're still – you're not not paying for the book. Like, you're paying 15 bucks a month and you get one of their five books. So, like, they pick – they curate five books and you get to pick one of the five. And you can skip a month whenever you want and not pay the $15. So sometimes I do that. And then you can add on other books for like 10 bucks for like a hard copy nice book. If it's on Amazon, tell me and then I won't do it. I will do some Googling. There's usually like one, they're all, there's like maybe one nonfiction, four fiction, and they're like in different categories. And they, like this month I picked the mothers. So they're all very like books people are always telling me to read. The Mothers is so good also. So that's um, what's coming. Yeah, they probably. it sounds like if that's the case, they probably have a deal with the publisher. Like, we'll buy right. 10,000 copies at a discounted rate so then we can sell them. Right, because they're not – you can't pick any book. And then you can pick other books that are $10, and sometimes you get credits. But you have to, like, refer somebody or skip a month and save it for next month, and you can buy another book for 10 bucks. But they are, like, nice hard copies, and I am a fan. So you should look into it. Also, Jason's building us a little free library for our front yard. You guys are the cutest. 
I love that. I'm really excited. There are like plans online. You like have to register and people can come get books. So I am excited. I'm, I'm going to give away books in there. That's great. It'll be cute. Okay, okay. I have to go make dinner. I forgot that Same. I was hungry. Okay, let's make some um, food. Okay. Okay, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. the word titillating the audience i like have what's another word can i get a synonym i like that can i get a synonym i hate that word